Well, we're going to continue for our time of worship by looking at God's Word. And if you've been with us for the past two weeks, you'll notice I'm still wearing this microphone that tends to act up. And um, that's because we tried for like an hour and a half to recreate the problem, and it didn't happen. So maybe we fixed it somehow. Um, so we're looking at today at John chapter 11. While we're doing this fall, we're walking our way through the gospel of John. And we're looking how Jesus is speaking into our lives, into very specific aspects and corners of our hearts. And today, as we look at John 11, the, the ideas that we're going to be thinking about is Jesus and your pain. Jesus and your pain. This is an incredibly rich and beautiful chapter. John chapter 11, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8, 1 through 8, and then jumping ahead to verses 17 through 44. You can follow along in the worship guide or in your own Bibles or on the wall behind me. So let's give our careful attention to the reading of God's word. And this is God's word given to you this morning. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? And jumping down to verse 17. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Martha remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews also who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. 
And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an order, odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this word. We pray that as we consider your word, your spirit would be speaking into our life and that we would know your word and that we would be confronted and and that we would really see your beauty, that our sin would be challenged and that we would be drawn to you and have faith in you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. One of the most common objections against the Christian faith is this idea of pain. It's this problem of pain. And in fact, this is such a powerful objection, it serves as a defeater belief. And what I mean by defeater belief, uh, to use those words in a definition, it is a belief that defeats faith. In other words, because pain exists, a good, loving God cannot exist. That is the construct of this defeater belief. But what makes this particular objection to the Christian faith very powerful is not just the fact that it's an intellectual one. It is actually one that is deeply personal, that we are here in this room, and every single one of us has been impacted by the deep pain in this world. We have been impacted in deep and personal ways because we endure pain and suffering. Perhaps you're here this morning and you are in your body physically in pain. That could be one example. But also, the fact is that death touches every single one of us in so many different myriad ways. And sometimes it's expected where loved ones die in old age. And other times, some loved ones die amidst tragedy. And personally, I think of high school friends dying in car accidents or freak accidents in college. But those are deeply personal stories, and I'll start crying, and I'll share them for another time. But perhaps you yourself can think of some of these examples in your own life. And Scripture actually embraces these type of defeater beliefs, these types of doubts, these objections in a very particular way that is quite encouraging. The call to confession that we read earlier in Isaiah 1 can be translated a slightly different way. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. The translation may be translated, come, let's argue it out. 
See, and at this point, we need to remember two things at this point. And in light of this type of defeater belief, such defeater beliefs and objections. The first thing to remember is that Christianity is not the only belief system that is on trial. Every belief system is on trial. For example, a secular belief system may say that there is no God, there is no afterlife. This life is all there is. You live and you die. Pain is natural. Death is natural. Death happens. There's no purpose in it. That's one, that's one belief system. It's a secular ideology. Another example, and perhaps from the Eastern perspectives, Hinduism and Buddhism have variations of this idea of karma, where your past actions impact your, your current life right now, where your past impacts, your past leads to good or bad things. That's a very, it's karma. It's, there's lots of different variations. So not only is Christianity, the, Christianity is not only the only belief system on trial. Secondly, there's a question that must be answered that which belief system makes sense, corresponds to re- reality, and actually encourages us to live lives of love and hope and faith. These are some things to really think about as we begin with this question in mind as we look at this text. And just briefly, like a because this passage of John 11 fits within the larger answer to that question, how of the problem of pain. Like scripture says lots of things to the answer to that question. And I'm just going to share them very briefly. We're not diving into all of them, but it's really helpful to understand how this passage fits within that larger answer. So like what does scripture say to the problem of pain? Scripture says that evil is not created by God. Actually, evil is created by God's creation that rebels against him. That's the first thing. Second thing is that God is actually more powerful than evil, and he allows it to happen. The third thing is that evil is actually redeemed and is used for good, and that eventually someday will come when all of evil will be judged within this world because when we think about the pain in the in our lives pain comes from the evil of sin so that's as we begin to think about it so like just jumping into john 11 now john 11 we see jesus being glorified in a wonderful way he's being glorified in another in this amazing way and we just finished last week considering john 10 jesus is the good shepherd So how is Jesus being the good shepherd, and how is Jesus being glorified here in this passage? Let's jump in. So quickly here we see Jesus. And so I'm really focusing on the person of Jesus, and then we'll look at Martha and Mary. As we look at Jesus here, we we quickly learn at the outset of this passage that a beloved friend of his, Lazarus, had died. He died of an illness. And Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, sent word to Jesus when he was still ill and said, hey, Your friend is on his deathbed. He is ill. And at least this would be an opportunity for Jesus to come and say a final goodbye to his loved ones. That's one idea. But the Jews are also here in this passage, and they ask a question that both Mary and Martha also ask. Could not the man who healed a man born blind also raise this man, not just raise, could not... He who healed this blind man also prevent him from dying? 
Now, do you notice how the miracle of healing the blind man is on par with illness right there? Now, Jesus' love and affection is actually mentioned for us several times in this passage. We see this in verse 3, verse 5, verse 35. Jesus' love for Mary and Martha and Lazarus were, was apparent to everyone around him. But there's a question that I ask and that I feel, and perhaps you're wondering this too, but did he really love him since he delayed? Because when I have gotten the phone call to come and say a final goodbye or to, that someone is ill, like I've hopped in a car and driven across the states just to say a final goodbye, and haven't you perhaps done the same or at least wanted to? And the disciples offer a reason, and perhaps this is, this is actually quite plausible. They assume that Jesus did not want to go to Jerusalem because he feared for his life. In John 10, verse 32, the Jews pick up stones with the intention of stoning Jesus to death. And so when the, the disciples learned that Jesus was going to Bethany, we didn't read this passage, but the disciples actually point this out to him. It's like, hey, They just tried to kill you. But one verse we did not read is from Thomas. And it's, I believe, in verse 16. When it's Thomas, he says, So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go that we may die with him. His disciples are with him, thinking that Jesus is going to go die. And they're willing to die with him as well. So that's the plausible idea that they're thinking that Jesus did not go because he was he did not want to die. But that's not the case for us whatsoever. This is what we read about in verse 14 and 15. It is for the glory of God that the son of God may be glorified through it. Then Jesus told him plainly that Lazarus has died, but for your sake I am glad I was not there so that you would believe, but let us go to him. Now, within our language in 2021, we do not use this word glorify that often. It is a very unique religious language, religious word, but, but what does it mean? To glorify simply means to reveal or to make known. And so Jesus is telling his disciples that he delayed in order to reveal himself, that he delayed to make himself famous. But it's not just him, it's for the glory of God. And so when Lazarus died, he was glad for their sake so that he would be revealed for who he truly is, that they would actually see what he came for and to do. And if we are honest with ourselves, this bothers every single one of us because this challenges our sense of pride. We want to be in the know. We want answers. We actually want to be in control. But one of the truths about God is this, is that if we know everything he does and we are concerned with his love, if we are concerned with his justice, we, then we would actually want what he does. So Romans 8 tells us that everything happens for our good. If we would know everything that God does and are concerned with his love and good, then we'd be content with that and actually want that for ourselves. There's another story in Scripture that is actually full of pain and suffering. It's actually the oldest book in the entire Bible, and it's the book of Job. And this is telling, as this question of pain and suffering is one that has been around since the fall, 
of mankind. This is telling. It's been around for history. But as Job faced this incredible and truly unimaginable suffering, he had these three friends that would come to him that would simply be present with him. But they began to have these series of conversations. But throughout those conversations, they offered their own understanding as to why this pain and this suffering happened. Perhaps it's your fault. And they said very hurtful, (laughs) cruel things. And this is in stands in stark contrast with what Jesus does. That how does Jesus come to comfort Martha? How does Jesus come to Martha? Martha, how does Jesus come to comfort Mary? Because what we see in these, these next two points of Martha and Mary, Jesus is embodying this goodness and this love and this care as he speaks to him. Because when we suffer, and friends, you know this, we need two things. We need two things, and we see both of these things, first with Martha and then with Mary. With Martha, we learn that we need this resurrection encouragement, this resurrection hope. And this is in verses 21 through 27. See, when Martha learns that Jesus came, she rises, she went out to meet him. And she, you hear her faith in her voice when she says this, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. She believes that Jesus could have prevented death. Jesus could have prevented death. And she continues and says that, and I still believe this, that whatever you ask of God, he will answer your prayers. And so Jesus responds to that. He seizes the moment and he explains a few things to her. But he says to her, your brother will rise again. And here's Martha. Sure, I know he'll rise again at the end of days, when, at, the, at the future resurrection. But Jesus responds, replies to that and says, I am the resurrection and the life. And so what Martha is showing us is that like, she's partially right. That, she, that there is a future resurrection. But she is unaware that the living resurrection is right in front of her. That the source of all life is standing two feet, three feet, right there in front of her. And she makes this lovely, beautiful confession about Jesus at the tail end of this conversation. She says to him that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. The Son of the living God who is coming to come into the world. Now, this is the Gospel of John. There's a, this is a similar, there's a similar passage, passage in Matthew 16. In Matthew 16, who makes this confession? That Jesus has this conversation with his disciples. Who do you say I am? And then Peter says, you are the Christ. In John's gospel, the very first person to realize that Jesus is the Christ is Martha. And that happens right here in this passage. But she also points out that Jesus is the Son of God. She has that insight. And to go back a step to the first few verses that we read in verses 1 through 7, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples. And he tells them that the Son of God is about to be revealed, about to be glorified. Martha was not in that room. But by faith, she was in that room. She has this faith that Jesus is the Son of God who's coming into the world. And so this is actually going to be an incredible comfort to her. Because, and, but, and this should be an, an incredible comfort to us. That the resurrection is not just this abstract idea. It's not just a metaphor for the next life or, or heaven or anything like that. It's 
grounded in our life today because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's not just grounded, it's not grounded so much in our life, in our life today. It's grounded in God himself, that God loves you and pursues you, and he is the one who offers you this promise of, behold, I'm making all things new. And if you know God now, today, you're connected to that resurrection life today. It's relevant to your life in this very moment. And he's encouraging Martha with this, this news that the resurrection is real and it's beautiful and it's rooted in him. That anyone who will look to Jesus, though he die, would live. That though he die, he would actually never die. But with Mary, we see Jesus encouraging Mary in a different way. So with Martha, he, Jesus encourages Martha with words of encouragement. But with Mary, he encourages her in a different way. Mary, and this is verses 28 through 37, Mary is sitting in her house. But when she learned that Jesus wanted to meet with her, she gets up and she runs out. And she had the same heart that is full of faith. And it's the same faith that her sister Martha had. Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. And she burst into tears, weeping. And Jesus, at this point, sees the Jews who are also with her, comforting her. They are weeping. And he's like, where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? But when Jesus, I'm looking for the specific verse. Where's the dead? It comes, it comes up later. Sorry. I need to come back to it in a moment. But at this point, Jesus, as he sees Mary weeping, as he, he sees the Jews weeping, and he's like, where have you laid him? Jesus is deeply distressed and troubled within his heart, and he weeps. He is deeply troubled, and he weeps. And so in this, we actually see the way that Jesus encouraged Mary. He is simply being present with her. His tears are born out of love and a troubled heart. He loves Mary. He sees her grief over losing her dear brother, whom Jesus also loved. And even the Jews who are with Mary and Martha say, see how he loved him. See how he loved him. See, and Jesus is ministering to and encouraging Mary with his presence. So one of the greatest television shows of all time is The West Wing. And the president's chief of staff is talking to one of his employees, and he offers a a parable of sorts, and it goes like this. The parable says this, that a man is walking down the street, and he falls down a hole. The hole is so steep, he cannot get out. And so a doctor walks by. A doctor walks by, and the man shouts out, hey, can you help me out? And so what does the doctor do? He writes a prescription and throws it down the hole. Then a priest walks by, and the man shouts out, Father, can you help me get out? And so the priest writes down a prayer and drops it in. And then a friend walks by, and the man yells up. He says, Hey, Joe, can you help me out? And the friend jumps into the hole. Joe, are you stupid? Now we're both stuck in here. Well, yeah, I've been in here before, and I know the way out. This is a picture of a friend. Here's a friend in our passage to Mary and to Martha, and that friend is Jesus. And all throughout Jesus' ministry, all throughout John's gospel, Jesus has actually referred to himself as the Son of Man. 
This is actually the first passage where Jesus refers to himself as the Son of God. But this idea of Son of Man is actually one of Jesus' favorite names for himself. It captures his humanity because Jesus identifies with us. He is fully man and he experiences great grief and pain. And that is, friends, the the reality of his incarnation, of God coming into the flesh. That is the reality. And so when we look at scripture, we are told that Jesus is our friend. That is a reality that exists because of his incarnation. And so here we see Jesus ministering to Mary because of his presence. Again, that is only a reality because of his incarnation. But here in this passage, we see Jesus revealing himself and referring to himself as the Son of God. He tells his disciples that he delayed going to Lazarus so that the Son of God may be revealed. That's why he delayed. That is the answer to his question. That he, that's the reason why he delayed, so that the Son of God may be revealed. And it's also the same confession that Martha makes about Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God. So take both of these names, friends, together, that Jesus is the Son of Man and Jesus is the Son of God. These two names go together. And so when we look at Jesus, you have no one other than the man who is fully God and fully man. In other words, as the as prophet Isaiah put it, God with us. Jesus is God with us. And so when we look at these tears that Jesus shows to Mary, these are not just the tears of a friend. These are the tears of the creator. These are the tears of a redeemer. These are the tears of one who loves you. So when God sees the pain, your pain, when he sees the pain of death within our lives, how does he respond? The answer to that is right here before, our past, before us in Jesus, that Jesus shows us that God is present with you in your pain, that he weeps with you. And Jesus, however, does not end there. He doesn't just weep with you. and He doesn't just weep with us over our pain. He goes to the tomb. And it's at that moment when he says, he comes, they have this in conversation. Look at verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him. The first time, look right there in verse 39. John, the writer of this gospel, highlights something for us. He is not referring to Lazarus by name right now. He is referring to Lazarus as the dead man. Jesus says, He goes to the tomb, he prays to the Father, and he says, Lazarus, come out. And so Lazarus, this dead man, comes out walking. He is alive again. And so how is that possible? And it's possible because Jesus, who is Jesus? Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That's not a metaphor. That's not just a beautiful poetic image. He is life himself. He is life himself. And then later on in in John's gospel, we see Jesus rising again from the grave. And when he did that, he broke the curse of death. And so we can sing this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? That is the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now, at the end of the day, this does not 
answered that entire defeater belief that I mentioned earlier, the problem of pain. However, this is deeply, deeply encouraging because no other religion, no other belief system says that the creator of the universe humiliated himself by becoming a part of the creation in order to fully identify with you in your suffering in order to rescue and make you new. No other religion says that. But also no other religion or belief systems actually says that death is conquered by the creator and the redeemer of the universe. No other belief system says that. And so perhaps where you're at this morning is that you want Jesus to deal with all your pain all right now. And this gets at something I shared back in John 5, where Jesus saying you're hurt. But Jesus heals Lazarus. But when he does that, he does something. He, healed, he raises Lazarus from the dead to show you that one day, all pain and death will be undone. So there's this amazing, long, lengthy book called Lord of the Rings. And there's this brief conversation at the end of Return of the King. And after going through this horrific, traumatic ordeal, if you don't want to read the books, watch the 12-hour movies, Samwise Gamgee, one of the hobbits, says to Gandalf the wizard, Gandalf, I thought you were dead. I thought I was dead. Is everything sad going to become untrue? What has happened to this world? See, within the gospel, the answer is yes. Is everything sad going to become untrue? Yes, there will be a day when weapons are turned into plowshares, where lions will lie down next to a lamb, and when there will be no more tears and no more pain or no more sorrows, everything sad will become untrue. That is the gospel. And that is deeply, deeply encouraging and beautiful. Let's pray.